I'm rich, bitch. I'm a rich, I'm a rich boy. Me, I'm gonna have more money than you ever thought you could have. You and all the rest, you stinking sons of Benedicts. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Daw. And this week we watched the first of the over two hour nominees in 1956, Giant, starring Elizabeth Taylor, Rock Hudson, and James Dean. Though it is the shortest of the incredibly long movies we have to watch for this year. (laughs) Which is bonkers, because it's over three hours long. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I will say, I liked it. It has a lot of problems, and there is a lot of it that feels very dated. Um, But I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Like a spoiler. (laughs) I I also quite enjoyed it. I do think it's too long, but it is not too long in the way a lot of movies we've watched have been where it's just like there is a clear hour here to cut out like why is this movie like this i am not entirely certain what to cut like cutting this movie down would mean hard choices oh yeah yeah it's not like it sags in any particular place this movie is very very into long silent sweeping shots of the texas landscape and the thing is they're all pretty great. It's just like, do we need 15 different camera angles of the same shot? Do we need to see 30 oil derricks come from 15 oil derricks, come from three oil derricks, come from one? Like, we get it. <laughs> yeah. I think there's stuff like that. I think my biggest objection is like, I don't think any of them are necessarily like shitty actors because one of them straight up actually literally Dennis Hopper. But none of the kids really work for me. <laughs> But they do function importantly in the plot sense. So none of them are like, we got to cut this kid out. But all of them are a little bit like, this is a little less engaging than watching Rock Hudson and Elizabeth Taylor and James Dean. Yeah, like the little, little kids, I think you can't cut because they offer some of the funnier shit in this movie. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, the adult kids. Right. The little, little kids are weirdly amazing. They really are, and I also watching it, I'm like, this is 1956 or 55, probably, when they actually shot it, and they didn't have, you know, the same kind of rules and restrictions for how you can treat actors, and watching those kids cry, I'm like, they just made those kids cry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, what did they do? Because that is very realistic crying, and that's like a (laughs) three-year-old. Yeah, I guess we should probably get into the plot of this film, because while there's not a whole lot of plot, and it's really all in the details, it is an epic, so yeah, it there, goes on for a while. <laughs> like, there's not a whole lot of plot in any of the movies here, but it's kind of like three movies. Yeah, I would say that there's like three really strong eras, basically. Yeah. We start in the 1920s, and Rock Hudson has come to the East Coast to buy a cool horse, and finds riding on that horse Elizabeth Taylor. So he's immediately like, fuck this stupid horse, how do I marry Elizabeth Taylor? (laughs) And Rock Hudson was gay, so like, that's how pretty she is. 
the other thing that's how pretty she is is she is into him and her strategy is to say the next morning hey i read up on texas last night we really stole that land didn't we elizabeth taylor negs the entire state of texas yeah and like that is a power move please do not attempt this unless elizabeth taylor but like (laughs) yeah definitely not with a texan But it works because she's Elizabeth Taylor. Yes. And they get married and go back to his absolutely absurdly huge ranch home in Texas, which is, as someone born in Texas who's known a lot of like weird rich people cattle ranchers in Texas, a lot of very good period specific detail about what being a rich weirdo in Texas looks like (laughs) in this gigantic fucking home they go back to. Where we meet Rock Hudson's sister, who is a power lesbian. Yeah. Tragically, a power lesbian in the middle of rural Texas with, like, no ability to just be a power lesbian. Well, other than, like, bossing Elizabeth Taylor around. Yeah. She's psychologically topping Elizabeth Taylor because she can't (laughs) do it literally. And then honestly dies of trying to do it literally. (laughs) Um, Because after kind of locking horns with Elizabeth Taylor, Elizabeth Taylor kind of wins on like, hey, I'm the wife here. Like I get to do wife stuff. Leave me alone. And she like gets so out of sorts about it. She goes to ride Elizabeth Taylor's horse that only loves Elizabeth Taylor. And the horse throws her off and like stomps her head in and kills her. Yes. We don't see that part, but we hear about it. We, meanwhile, have met James Dean making himself unattractive somehow. Uh, I mean, he's still very hot because he's James Dean, but, like, (laughs) he is giving this slouched over, like, mumbling, I'm gonna do some, like, I'm... You know the guy from King of the Hill who you understand every fifth word that he says and the rest of it is just mumbling? Yeah. That is his accent in this. Is that yeah. is that specific Texas accent? And I was quite impressed with it honestly because the only other movie I've ever seen him in is Rebel Without a Cause where he is definitely not this character. Yeah. And to be as incredibly beautiful and iconic and to have died literally right after this film was made so that looking this way is the only way any of us ever have known him. And for me to be like, oh, that is a totally different guy is really impressive. Like with Elizabeth Taylor, watching her evolution over the course of this film, and I will, I'm going to go on a whole rant later about how great Elizabeth Taylor is. But you know, like Elizabeth Taylor lived to be quite old for most of my life. I have only ever really thought of her as old. So when we, you know, first watched Father of the Bride and she was like this very breathy, high voiced ingenue and like how does anyone look that way or ever have looked that way? It was shocking, but it's not weird to me to be able to see her in different capacities very easily because of that. Whereas James Dean is like this one poster forever. Yeah. (laughs) And he's still selling me on being this kind of racist, like redneck asshole (laughs) who's also still sexy. A little, but I do... A little, but not as much as Rock Hudson, honestly. And Rock Hudson's not my type. Yeah, and also, like, I definitely came into this movie understanding it as a love triangle. And, like, 
A little bit it is, but there's never really any competition here. Like, Elizabeth Taylor is never going to go off with James Dean. No, like, she wants him to do well for himself and I think is pretty clued up early on that he's got a thing for her, but is like, I'm not going to encourage that, but I'm going to be kind to him because of it. Yeah. You come in and the setup is like, Rock Hudson is playing this kind of like stick up his ass a little bitty like like i'm a man's man i'm i'm texas if it was a dude <laughs> and like elizabeth taylor is coming to his home and kind of having trouble adjusting and meets his ranch hand fucking james dean you're like oh there's gonna be a lot of sexual tension here and like no not really and i got like I really think that is to James Dean's credit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it, it really does feel like his performance is that his interest in Elizabeth Taylor is she is a symbol for the money and power that he feels like he has been denied because of the class into which he was born more than it is like, oh, I'm desperately in love with this woman. Yeah, for sure. Elizabeth Taylor is absolutely the conduit through which the like... D- d- kind of sexual tension between Rock Hudson and James Dean, but, like, mostly just conflict between them goes. Like, the clearly the actual relationship here is between the two of them, and, like, Elizabeth Taylor's kind of a, like, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, oh, It's not yeah. like Elizabeth Taylor and Rock Hudson don't have a real relationship. That is the bulk of this movie. But insofar as James Dean has a, like, fleshed-out relationship with either of them, it's Rock Hudson. It just goes through Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> Yeah. We kind of flesh all of that out, but after Rock Hudson's sister, Luz, is killed while riding the horse, who is awesomely named Warwinds, which is just a good horse name. Yeah. It turns out Luz has left James Dean's character this little bit of land. And that little bit of land becomes extremely plot relevant because he finds oil on it. And a shit ton of it. <laughs> yes. And sort of his plot for a while after that is slowly transforming after he gets all this money into late period Howard Hughes. And meanwhile, Elizabeth Taylor and Rock Hudson are like going through a bunch of phases of their marriage, all of which are actually pretty fascinating. (laughs) And I think really well portrayed in a way that a lot of the marriage conflicts that we have seen thus far in Oscar-nominated films have not been. (laughs) Based on sort of real things and people kind of deflect it and get over it in sort of realistic ways. Or, you know, don't and then have to make big gestures. But like none of that feels like we are in act two. There must be marriage conflict now. And none of it ends up being the fucking taming of the shrew standard of like, well, she's just untamable. Let me tame her. And then she's happily putting her hand under his foot. Like she goes away to visit her parents a few years after the children are born for Thanksgiving and her sister's wedding. And Rock Hudson is the one who caves and comes to her and is like, I missed you so much. And she's like, I'm still the, you know, bossy spitfire that I was when I left. And he's like, well, he has a great line, actually, which is uh, Texans like a little vinegar with their greens. Makes them taste better. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What a nice turn there from all of the other fucking movies we've ever watched where it's like, yeah, she does realize that she's like, 
she might be a little abrasive. And he's like, you know what? You are. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah, because you're literally Elizabeth Taylor. But also, like, th- maybe it's just okay. I Yes. <laughs> and, like, I think the sort of... I don't know. We'll get to it at the end because I think that you're right. But I think it is also interesting how much this movie is about, like, change people being sort of inherently who they are versus, like, how can they change and not. Right. So they have three kids. They have this pair of twins and the pair of twins sort of not straight up does opposite gender roles. But the son who's supposed to inherit it wants to become a doctor. And the daughter is actually the one who's like, I'm actually really into animal husbandry and like running a cattle ranch. I would very much like to do that. And Rock Hudson is like losing his mind about it. And in Rock Hudson's kind of defense, Elizabeth Taylor is also losing her mind about it. Yes. Because the daughter should go to finishing school. Right, in Switzerland. (laughs) Eventually, the two kids, in a very sort of cute sequence, conspire to get both of the parents to talk the other one into it, because they know in broad strokes they're going to be making the same argument to each other about, like, why the other kid should get to do the thing that they don't care that much about. (laughs) And then have to go, like... Okay, all of those points don't count, though, if it's the kid that I have a real investment. Now they're going to live their life. Then they have a third child, a daughter, who is just awful. (laughs) Yeah. Just the worst. I would say if there is one thing that I would want to just completely cut from this film, it would be her entire fucking plot line. Because honestly, it doesn't really go anywhere. I think it is. Like Elizabeth Taylor still exists. That can be the tension here. But yeah, go on and explain what it is, because I'm like, that doesn't make any sense without context. James Dean in really daringly unattractive old age makeup. He shaved a receding hairline into his hair, into that beautiful, thick, famous James Dean hair. He was like, (laughs) yeah, just make me look like I have like a 45 year old male pattern balding widow's peak. It's not even like a good widow's peak. It's like, you know how some people it goes really unevenly? Yeah, he committed to that. (laughs) Yeah. He is having this sort of huge party in his own honor that's also the opening of an airport, that's also the opening of a hotel, which is all based on a real guy in Texas, which is kind of the best part about it. Who was it based on? Uh, It's based on an actual wildcat oil derrick guy named Glenn Herbert McCarthy. And he did, in fact, build this gigantic hotel outside, I think, Houston. Okay. And did make it, like, the event of the year was he started this huge hotel. And then, like, nobody, like, it was, like, the biggest hotel built in the 1950s or something. Right. trying to sort of find the exact thing about it. But, like, it, it isn't like it wasn't ever successful again, but it was just sort of, like, why did this guy do this? It isn't like it served a huge function. It just sort of people went to it because it's like this guy did this really weird thing and built this gigantic fucking hotel. Oh, I just assumed that it was a like, what if Texas had its own Conrad Hilton kind of thing? I didn't realize that it was this was a real Texan person. (laughs) It isn't straight up. Like both of them are uh, Rock Hudson's character and James Dean's character are based fairly loosely on 
some real figures in Texas. Mm. But the specifics of sort of how Texas culture works and how Texans are weirdos <laughs> is more, to me, accurate than the sort of specifics of... This guy did this because Glenn Herbert McCarthy, like, didn't inherit any land. There's sort of one very brief scene where James Dean has spent all of his money trying to find oil on this property and it's just never going to happen. And then oil just, like, shoots out of his oil derrick. Or the, and I should know the technical names for all this, but I don't. But, like, that's the thing that's actually based on the guy. He kept, like, buying land and then buying materials to, like, try and drill for oil. And it didn't work and didn't work and didn't work until it finally did. And then once he had enough money to keep searching for it, turns out there was a lot of fucking oil in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> so he just became extraordinarily rich from it. Whereas in the film, it's just that Elizabeth Taylor's high heel punctures the <laughs> surface of the ground and some black wells up into it. Yeah. Which I don't think is really how that works, but whatever. It makes for a heavy-handed but effective metaphor. <laughs> yeah. There's also, like, just cattle baron stuff that is actually accurate to Rock Hudson's character, but it's... Honestly, even less interesting than that stuff. But back to the, like, weird airport hotel opening thing. Yes. Because he's throwing this gigantic party in his own honor and has kind of seduced their daughter, their youngest daughter, to, like, come and be the, like, queen of the whatever this thing is. It's like a whole day for him. That it's it, yeah, <laughs> it's jet rink day and there's a parade and she's the queen of the parade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when is jet rink day i need to know so i can make sure to celebrate it right like they spent all that money trying to make the continental happen in the 30s and if they just announced when jet rink day was i feel like we would still be celebrating it anyway the whole family goes up there james dean gets increasingly drunk because he's half-heartedly turned down by the daughter, but he also is, like, half-heartedly proposing because he's very clearly still in love with Elizabeth Taylor. The way in which it is so clearly just the daughter is the second prize I might be able to get is so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it works really well. I, I, this is not a criticism of the movie. It is like, oh, yeah, he's a fucking slime ball. And is taking advantage or attempting to take advantage of this young woman. Meanwhile, the plot kind of skips back over to Dennis Hopper, the oldest son. By the way, everybody, Elizabeth Taylor, Rock Hudson, and James Dean are all in old age makeup now. And it's really telling how willing each of the three of them is to, like, actually look older. And in what ways. It's all really interesting. But we're going to circle back around to that because Dennis Hopper has married a Latina girl. And shit's racist in 1950s, I think. I think we're sort of supposed to be in present day by the time we're at Jet Rank Day, Texas. Yeah, I get that impression. They don't give a date, but it feels... Like the clothing and the the vibe. Yeah. <laughs> the vibe is that we're at present day. And Jet Rank in a kind of fascinating turn is actually kind of the most racist character in the movie because he's like, I'm not like those people just because I'm poor. Like, don't compare me to those people. And he also uses different words, too. <laughs> yes, he does. And like, Rock Hudson is an interestingly 
different kind of racist against Mexicans, very specifically in this Mexicans. And that is kind of the interesting journey where it turns out we're following, besides just their marriage. But it all culminates in the oldest son, who is, you know, not masculine enough because he wants to be a doctor, coming in and trying to stick up for his wife and James Dean getting his cronies to, like, hold the guy so that he can punch him a couple times. And Rock Hudson coming in to, like, do a big old fist fight with James Dean and then going like, you are fucking too drunk to stand, my man. This is right. this is nothing. This is not a fair fight. <laughs> and then in a move that I love, they've gone back to the fucking like wine cave in this hotel where they're storing all the wine and goes like, you're not worth it. And then kicks over this thing and destroys like... Like, oh, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of wine <laughs> easily. It's like yeah. full bookshelf sized racks of wine, multiple ones that just fall like dominoes. <laughs> and like you keep hearing them fall after they cut away for like a comically long <laughs> period of time. Yep. You're like, how deep is this room? Uh, It's great, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the daughter's still like, I can't believe how embarrassing all of you are. I'm going to go see my boyfriend because he's so great. And then I will say both Rock Hudson and James Dean have long drunk acting showcases in this movie. And James Dean drunk acts fucking circles around Rock Hudson. I don't know. I felt like James Dean drunk was so big. I did too, but he was that drunk to me rock hudson was doing like i'm just a big old mean drunk judge and james dean (laughs) yeah well when james dean finally gets to the point where he's obviously so drunk that he's fighting more to just stay conscious than anything else that's when i bought it yeah because he got real quiet and was like having a hard time staying up And I was like, okay, because a lot of times you'll have actors who are like, I'm having a hard time staying upright, and yet I'm still nattering away. And you're like, those two things don't happen together. Yeah. (laughs) Like, when you are at the point where all of your brain power is just not becoming unconscious, you're not doing a big monologue. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. There's extremely, extremely drunk. I think he does a great job. And then in that first scene with him and the daughter at the restaurant where you sort of get the sense like, oh, he's just low level drunk all the time. Yeah. Like he's just 20% drunk 24 hours a day. They hint at this throughout the film, like even when he's much younger, where he'll be taking a little nip of whiskey before going to sit down and have tea with Elizabeth Taylor. There's like a few times where you see this where like he is drinking in the middle of the day. Yeah. You know what it is? It's when he finds oil and he gets absolutely covered in it and goes to the house to basically make a pass at Elizabeth Taylor in front of Rock Hudson and then they get in a fight. Yeah. That drunk acting, I thought that was not very good. You're right. But the later drunk acting felt better. And maybe that was just like he was so ecstatic and fucked up on like, I'm rich, motherfucker, that- 
that's more of what came across. I definitely read that way more as like, he's euphoric and he's just immediately too big for his britches. He's just immediately like, well, the only reason Liz Taylor didn't want to sleep with me is obviously I didn't have enough money. So here I am covered in crude oil, interrupting your child's birthday party or whatever. And so like, are we going to fuck or what? Like, which is just like. <laughs> yeah, but I like, I wish that that had been all of what he was playing instead of trying to play that and drunk yeah i yeah that's fair but yes the later drunk where he's just like i mean you know as someone who's a recovering alcoholic the later drunk where you are always low level drunk so you're real quiet yeah (laughs) because you're like i don't want to give it away (laughs) yeah he does that really beautifully yeah and i keep saying this like oh he's doing this really beautifully he's so fucking scum in this movie (laughs) yeah but it's like in ways that just but like he does it really well. <laughs> yeah, because of James Dean's reputation, this is genuinely like a didn't know he had it in him kind of role. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's the very first real scene with him is Rock Hudson kind of chasing him away and him getting in his car to leave and mumbling just quietly enough that he thinks Rock Hudson can't hear him, but also maybe he can, because like maybe who cares? And like I'm just a I'm a tough guy, but I don't actually want to start a fight going like Ain't no man in this country a king, no matter what some people. Yeah. (laughs) And then he just starts up his car and leaves. God, that's such a specific kind of shady rat fink motherfucker. Like, like, so good. The like, I'm not confident enough to do it to his face, but like, you know what? If he does overhear it, then then the choice was made for me, but I'm not (laughs) confident or brave enough to make it for myself. Yeah. He's a really surprisingly good actor. Yeah. Because, like, he's great in Rebel Without a Cause, but also, you know, how hard is it to be hot and a bratty teen? Right. Because his filmography is so short and because he is James Dean in all caps, that one photo of him in a dirty white tee. Yeah. You do think (laughs) of him as, like, James Dean was really good at playing James Dean, at, like, playing that role. Yes. Oh, no, he actually had it in him to be another Brando. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And to do that kind of range, this is clearly a role that's meant to, like, announce that, right? Right. Mm -hmm. I can play old in this. I can play the villain in this. I can do all the things you wouldn't think I can do. I can be unattractive. Yeah. Like, not just because they shaved my head in a weird way, but, like, I can be personality-wise, repulsive is a it's a pretty big move. And he does it fucking beautifully. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have no idea where we were. Uh, we were- Oh, yes. The, the, uh, Dennis Hopper has married a Latina woman. <laughs> and James Dean has ordered everyone at his hotel slash airport slash monument to his <laughs> own greatness to be racist assholes. Literally, they're like- I don't necessarily want to, but... We were told. Mr. Jet said, be a racist. Yep. So he, yeah, all the fights happen, but then the daughter is still into Jet and goes down and sees James Dean just doing the absolutely cannot stand up levels of drunk, wailing about how he is still in love with Elizabeth Taylor. And knocks over the entire dais and then just, like, lays in the broken dais. Mm -hmm. And the daughter's like, 
I've learned an important lesson. And then sees a guy in his hot rod on the way home and is like, I've forgotten my important lesson, which I actually kind of love. I'm not quite sure how old any of the kids are supposed to be at this time, because her parents are definitely freaked out that she is interested in Jet, but she kind of reads as like 15, and I don't feel like they are... You are 15 freaked out at her being interested in Jet. So, I, yeah, I'm not really clear on what her age is supposed to be. But yes, she does immediately forget that lesson. <laughs> uh, yeah, I read her as like 18, 19. But like, I don't know. It doesn't seem that interested in really making this an important plot point. No, but it's also, this is a weird Texas fact. I think I'm at liberty to say. But you met Shuggy. You met my mom's best friend since childhood, right? At my wedding. Yeah, she's great. Shuggy is great. And Shuggy was not a brat in this way, but is was definitely like being introduced into society and very attractive in the way this daughter is. And she was, in fact, the sweetheart of one of the fraternities at SMU while she was still, I think, a junior in high school. Okay. Yeah. Times. Things have sure changed. Yeah, times are (laughs) weird. Uh, They sure are. (laughs) Um, So, like, the read of 15 is not necessarily that out there, is I guess what I'm saying with that. Right, right. And I don't think this is exclusive to Texas, either. I think this is just, like, at the time, things were different. (laughs) Yeah. So, we now get to Rock Hudson's actual big acting showcase, Because I think for a lot of this, Rock Hudson has the kind of thankless job of being the anchor of stability. Like, there are time jumps and everybody else kind of changes around him. But Bick, Rock Hudson's character, is just sort of always the same in every time period as we go from like the 1920s to the mid-50s. Yes. Then we get to this thing where the son, Dennis Hopper, has kind of gone like, You know, I'm used to Jet being a racist piece of shit. Yeah. But the thing where you just kind of laugh off being a racist piece of shit and going like, that's just the way it is, fucking sickens me. (laughs) And Bick's like, you can't talk to me like that. I just got in a fist fight with a guy. And (laughs) he's like, yeah, for you. So that like you could win a fight because you want to win a fight against this guy. (laughs) Because you hate that dude for reasons that are totally unrelated to him being a racist. Yeah. It is, I think, kind of beautiful how that ends up playing out because they end up stopping on their way back from wherever this hotel was. I guess it was outside of Austin. <laughs> the jet rink. Yeah. Uh, hotel. Temple. Hotel, airport, <laughs> and I just assume casino. Like, I don't think there's any evidence of it. Right. But just. <laughs> you know there is. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, on their way back, they stop at this diner and the diner is like, we refuse to serve Mexicans. So, like, take your daughter-in-law out of here. And in what is kind of great, you suddenly realize is Bick gets in the first fight he doesn't know he's going to win in his entire life. Yeah, that's really true. (laughs) I didn't think about it until you said that. And it goes on for a while. Yeah. He just gets the shit beaten out of him by this guy that's like 20 years younger than him. So like, yeah. 
Yeah. He just gets absolutely shit wrecked and comes home and is like, I am a failure. Nobody's going to take over this cattle ranch. I have to be an oil baron like the guy I hate the most in the world. And I didn't want to say this, but one of my grandkids is Latino. And Elizabeth Taylor's like, the fuck are you talking about? Like, (laughs) this is the first time you've ever had a legacy I'm proud of in like our entire marriage. It's so nice. (laughs) So nice and so sweet. Getting up and getting in a fight that isn't a like big showy masculine fight, but a like, I believe in something and I'm going to get into a fight about it is you do realize like, oh, right. He's never actually done that. The the (laughs) The only time that he ever got his shit even like kind of close to wrecked was when Jet came and threw a punch at him and then he immediately turned around and like punched Jed in the dick. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, there has never been a time where there's been anything in his life before this where he didn't know absolutely that he was going to win and frankly was like kind of a bit of a bully. Yeah. Like you definitely, and I think it's to this movie's credit, get where James Dean is coming from in like the first act. Oh, yeah. There's this kind of adorable scene when they have this sort of picnic parade to like introduce Elizabeth Taylor to everybody around town where you briefly meet the girl that was going to marry Rock Hudson before he went off to get this horse and found Elizabeth Taylor. (laughs) (laughs) And... She is so clearly crestfallen in this way of like, oh, and she's actually really, really nice. She looks like, like she Elizabeth looks Taylor like, and like, she's great. I wanted to hate her. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Yep, exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you do get this sense of like, oh, hey, the bad guy here is Rock Hudson for a little bit right when they come back and also the first couple of fights in their marriage are him just being a sexist asshole yeah and kind of having to get used to the fact that his wife isn't going to put up with that yeah and that yes she came to texas and she has adjusted and she's been like i'm gonna be a real texan wife and help run this ranch and be the lady of the house or whatever but i'm also gonna be fucking part of a partnership and you don't get to push me around and and make all of the decisions without me. Yeah. I mean, that's the fight that ends up with her going back to visit her parents. Yeah. And is great. All of their fights are really good because they resolve in ways that feel earned and feel real and have the kind of, yes, they're resolved, but you can see that this might be a thing that comes up again. <laughs> My favorite moment of that is after their first really big fight. Where he just like comes in and is like, everybody heard you contradicting me and talking about how we're Neanderthals and how dare you. Where she's just like, well, honestly, I did. I don't think I've ever misrepresented myself. You knew I was there. <laughs> like you knew I was going to be like this, right? <laughs> like I yep. kind of gave you shit from the moment we met. So what did you think was going to happen after we got married? Which is a very lived-in, long-term relationship fight of just like, why are you trying to completely change the terms of this relationship? Like it has always been this thing. I want to say, because I threatened to do this, so I'm going to do it now. So I know from just general film history that exists in the universe, if you like have listened to anything or read anything, that she did Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf as a way of proving that she could really act and not just be pretty and that she like gained weight and looked like a mess and that, you know, that was that was the I'm Elizabeth Taylor, but I can also do this. 
and she is phenomenal in it. And I'm pretty sure it was nominated. So we will definitely be going into it at some point in the, thankfully, probably not that distant future. But she is so fucking good in this movie that it is frankly kind of shocking because she starts out with a higher pitched voice, it's breathier, she's very ingenue, and they, you know, they do make her a little bit of an, uh, she's not that naive, I guess. <laughs> um, this, like, you know, very, very upper class East Coast girl goes back to Texas and is a little bit overwhelmed, but not nearly as much as one would probably think that one would be. <laughs> but as the movie goes on, her voice drops, her demeanor changes, and it is not sharp. It is so subtle. And it and by the end of the film, you're like, oh, I just watched a person grow up. And I think actually that Elizabeth Taylor does it better than anyone else in the film. Yeah, I, I, because James Dean has way less shades of it to do. He kind of just jumps immediately from being kind of young James Dean to the time jump older James Dean. Rock Hudson, like we say, is kind of staying as mainly a flat character for a lot of this run. His aging is really like the greatest temples a little and then spread it out a little bit more. His physicality doesn't change. Like, yeah, I mean, Elizabeth Taylor holds herself differently. For sure. There is a lovely little thing that happens in this movie where the way it signals time jumps is there's this absolutely gorgeous set of the entranceway slash grand staircase of Rita, the ranch, the giant mansion in it. And every time you time jump, they've renovated a little bit. They've sort of redone that room. Yeah. And I love that conceit. I think it's really smart. It's super smart. And all of the specifics are so good of it. Yeah. Like all of the just, oh, right, it's the 40s now. So they're into this thing. And the final time jump, it's got flat, light colored, the just sort of very I Love lucy e interior. Yeah. But it's so much less extreme than... Remember in Heaven Can Wait where they did that with, I think it was with the library, but they did it to the point of absurdity. It was like every time they renovate the library, every 10 years, like they just threw shit away, I guess, because it starts in the Victorian era and it's overstuffed and there's things everywhere and everything's floral, damask and whatever. And then you have the like Art Nouveau period where they have entirely different furniture and the walls are different and the bookshelves are different. And then you have the 20s where it becomes Art Deco and it's extremely austere. And this is so much more lived in than that. And it's just great. <laughs> it is very much like Elizabeth Taylor's performance in that like, oh, you can see why it would have changed in that way in that time period. You can still see... I think the sort of metaphorical thing is they have this weirdly plot-relevant organ in that front room that is always there. The other furniture may change. The wallpaper may all change. Mm -hmm. The windows may sort of look a little bit different. But, like, that's always there. Some of the stuff is just family heirloom. Don't fucking move that. Don't touch that. <laughs> that's how actually renovating a room works. Um, yes, exactly. <laughs> Not like, oh, just throw it all out and do whatever Architectural Digest says for this year. Yeah. And like Elizabeth Taylor's performance also has that same aspect of like, the character is still here. 
Like, we've definitely seen some time jump old people stuff of like, I remember back in the day when I was young and full of life. This is just like, you know, she moves a little slower. The hairline's a little higher. Wearing a little bit more makeup. She's a little more still and a little more stately. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, her development is so lived in and... Yeah. It's really very impressive. Yeah, totally agreed. So we should talk, though, about some of the imperfectness of this movie because it isn't perfect. And we have really raved about it. And I think it is actually very enjoyable. And considering that it is over three hours long and I was like, boy, I'm sure taking a lot of time watching this movie. It wasn't like, oh, dear God, (laughs) when will my torture end? It was like, yeah, this is going to take a while. (laughs) But there are some performances and some, uh, I would say, like, even while being an overtly anti-racist film in a way that we haven't really seen, it does suffer a little bit from, like, white savior complex. Yeah. (laughs) Particularly with Elizabeth Taylor's character always being the one who is advocating for the Mexican people who live on the ranch and who largely are servants or ranch hands. Like the Mexican woman who has the child who's very sick and she herself is also very sick. It seemed wild to me that like no one else would even have known about this. Like would they not have noticed that this woman hasn't been to work or if she's somebody's wife that he hasn't said anything about like, oh yeah, my wife is homesick with our child. It seemed very odd. It was like, let's have this incredibly sick person that nobody else has even noticed is ill. And then she has to advocate for their white doctor who only treats white people to go and see them. I agree with you in broad strokes, where I do think it is very troubling the degree to which she is, like you say, a white savior. That she like comes in and is extremely transformative of the way that the Latino community like interacts with the white people in Texas. I do kind of love the specifics, actually. I think you're right of that particular specific is this weird sense that they can't help themselves, that there's no one looking out for them amongst them. Right. Because there was that thing where someone said, oh, well, they have their own way of taking care of each other or whatever. Like it was, you know, uh, they'll have like, they'll brew roots and stick tea and not have real doctors. And I was like, okay, that seems odd. (laughs) And I do feel like no matter what someone's ethnicity or race or whatever is, if you and your kid are that sick, like... Somebody in your community is going to (laughs) notice. But yeah, I mean, her interaction there, I think, is nice. And I I think one of the things that really bugged me about it is that while making Elizabeth Taylor out to be this, like, not that, like, she's dedicating her life to anti-racism, but that, you know, she frequently calls it out when she sees anti-Mexican sentiment in Texas how completely unexamined her family's black servant is. (laughs) I, I, 
here's the thing. Maybe this is me giving the movie too much credit, but I actually liked the specifics of the ways in which she was a white savior. That being one of them. The other one being that her response to any challenge of her doing this is always just, it's a scandal, a scandal. (laughs) Just no matter what anybody goes like, you can't do that. This is these people are doing whatever. She's always like, this is simply a scandal. You have to have a doctor. This is a scandal. Rock Hudson's like, don't leave him alone. It's a scandal, though. Simply a scandal. (laughs) She does use that word quite a bit. (laughs) It's very funny. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's fair. Weirdly, I think that the way that Rock Hudson's racism is very lived in and is the very kind of like, I mean, I'm from the South. Like, I grew up with people like Rock Hudson who were like, oh, we don't hate them. We just don't think that they're all at the same level. And you're like, what the fuck? They should just stay in their place and we should stay in ours. And that will everyone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, they have things that they have their own stuff and we have our own stuff. And you're like, that's not. uh, <laughs> Nope, <laughs> that's not how that works. But that there is a, it's not that he doesn't care about the people who work for him. It's just that he doesn't really see them as people. And that felt very realistic to me. And I think was, I don't think that the movie thinks that we're supposed to think that's okay. Yeah. I think the movie presents it as this is normal, but it's actually not okay that it's normal. Yeah. I think also there's an interesting thing here with Jet being, you know, lower class, but doing the lower class white thing of, well, I may not have, you know, the money that these upper class white people have, but at least I'm better than non-white people. And that becomes apparent pretty early on. Well, (laughs) that becomes apparent an hour and a half into this movie. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean... Maybe not even that far. But yes, the novel this is based on is by the same woman who wrote the novel for Cimarron. Yes. And in a lot of ways, this has a lot of the same problems as Cimarron, but it also feels like kind of an apology for Cimarron, like kind of a better examination of the same themes and the same periods of American history in a weird way. It's also interested in sort of how a state gets built, you know, what it means for somebody to be the identity of this state and to live their whole life here. But it still has some of the white saviory stuff, but it also sort of... But it complicates that narrative. Exactly. In a way that Cimarron did not. Yeah. Where it was like, oh, yeah, so somebody in my family married, uh, or did, in Cimarron, did someone marry a Native American woman? Or was it just that, like, they liked him and there was some, there was that weird dinner at the end? Yeah, I think it's that the granddaughter, I think it's that one of them marries, one of the children marries a Native American, like, but it's, I th- so I think it's the yeah. same kind of setup as is in this. Um, but right, but in Cimarron, it was like, and then everyone lived happily ever after, and racism was solved. The end, and this was like, oh, actually, their their kid is gonna face the same level of racism, and like, what that is doing is it's making grandpa see something he's never seen before, <laughs> yeah. And like, um, but it's not fixing racism forever. <laughs> and like, instead of having this guy that's like weirdly the avatar of the state of what was that? Uh, Cimarron was Mon- I don't, Nebraska, yeah, yeah. Montana. I think Montana. Whatever. Uh, no, it was Wyoming. <laughs> what? What? Bleh. Um, 
it was truly does not matter. <laughs> right. But like in that one, the guy is like, is that state? Oklahoma. Right. Like his story is the story of that state. And like the interesting thing about Giant is the, you are following a guy who wants that to be true, <laughs> learning that yes. actually like actually Texas is bigger and stranger and is going to outlive you and like be bigger than you in both literal and metaphorical senses. Right. Right. Oh, that's actually like way more realistic and way more interesting uh, than. Than one guy is Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. And I, well, I think also like Texas is such an interesting case study as well like i feel like you could make hundreds of movies that were like let's explore the person who has this feeling for texas and and i mean you know this you're descended from texans such an identity there and yet i know so many texans where i'm like yeah you all have this particular texan thing but you know, some of them are like really hardcore democratic activists and some of them are like poets and some of them are, I mean, I've known literal oil barons yeah, <laughs> and that all of them are still a part of this state. And I think, yeah, that what is interesting about Giant is that Jet Rink is Texas too and the Mexican farmhands that work the land are Texas and the uncle who plays the <laughs> the organist. The uncle is so good. Oh, he's so good. He's one of the better aged up ones, too, actually. Even though he's not in the film that much, he yeah. really, really brings the physicality of, like, what happens as you get older and still being, like, the same intrinsic person. But you know that, like, the quote-unquote soft son who wants to be a doctor is also still really Texan. And there is an ineffable quality there. And that this idea that the only Texas is Bix, Texas, uh, is just not true is like, I wouldn't say the tragedy of Giant, but is like, it's the bittersweetness of it, you know? Yeah. Here I was like, let's talk about how this movie is not great. And instead I just went on about how great it is. I mean, I think my premise when I went into this movie, that's still kind of my premise, is like, what I always say about Texas is that it's actually five states, and no matter who you are, you love three of them. <laughs> that feels right, yeah. And this movie is actually five movies, and I think you're going to love about three of them. Like, I am with the moral of it, but I do not think the son marrying a Latino woman is particularly well drawn. I am not that interested in that movie. I am interested once it intersects back in with Rock Hudson. Oh, I agree. Because their relationship isn't developed at all. They meet at a party of some kind and it's like, oh, look, they instantly fell in love. And then like, we don't really get anything else from them. Like the next time we see them, they are married and the next time after that that we see them they've had a child i sort of feel similarly about the youngest daughter as a showcase for james dean's third act acting i'm happy to have her here <laughs> as a showcase for her as an actress and a person i have to watch on screen and give a shit about <laughs> yeah not so much yeah no I totally agreed our principals are giving really really great performances most of the time, I will say that Rock Hudson is the weakest of the three, but is actually a lot stronger than I anticipated him being. 
but as you said, like his character has the least to do until yeah. that big moment at the end where he, you know, realizes that he can't just punch racism to death. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're all great. There's some not amazing acting that happens among other members of the cast, but they're also not really that important except for the adult slash teenage kids who are pretty important to the plot. And I think in a number of ways could have been better. Dennis Hopper's character is drawn so badly. I agree. They were like, oh yeah, he doesn't want to be a ranch hand, so he's soft. So let's make him like kind of a pushover and like whiny. (laughs) Yeah, it may not surprise you to learn that the kid who cried when he was supposed to get on a horse when he was four and then was like, please give me the like professional adult playset uh, really resonated with me personally. <laughs> and then when he was an adult, I was like, I don't really get th- how that kid grew up into this guy, except in the most like exaggerated of senses. Right. Yeah. They like, really try to emasculate him in a weird way, which is, which is frankly in conflict with, his plot point, which is that he meets this Latina woman and then goes against everything that his family has told him is okay and elopes with her and then shows up and is like, we're married and you can't do anything about it. And I'm like, everything that this character has been so far would not do this. The movie kind of tries to make out that he is like, He needed either more plot or less plot, basically. Yeah. There needed to be a moment where you sort of understood He keeps arguing with Rock Hudson. No, I am brave. I'm brave in my own way. And that is an interesting concept that the movie just kind of goes with him on because it doesn't show that in any way. He does kind of seem to just be a pushover. Yeah. I will say that the little kids are phenomenal, even though most of what they do is cry about stuff. Yes. But the writing that is around the things that happen with the little kids is so good. Like when Rock Hudson says, my kid is going to ride a horse. I was put on a horse when before I could walk or whatever. And then the kid like will not stop crying. He gets on the horse with him and rides off. And Elizabeth Taylor is pissed. <laughs> and I felt like the stakes were really high there. I definitely had a moment where I was like, are we going to have a Gone with the Wind thing where the kid dies on the horse? Yeah. Thankfully, we did not. (laughs) No. And like, I definitely had the same thought. I think the movie kind of wants you to think that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think having those stakes was to its credit. Like, holy shit, is it going to (laughs) happen? Yeah. It isn't that long in the grand scheme of how long this movie is after Luz dies of riding a fucking horse that Rock Hudson's like, let's put all of our children on horses. Even the ones who are screaming and crying about it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I thought that was actually really affecting. Yeah. The scene, though, where I was like, I love this movie. Turns out I love this movie because I fought loving this movie for some reason. I mean, basically because it's not perfect and because it is racist and like it does have white savior problems. It is not racist in the way that a lot of shit that we have watched is racist. It's just like... It's problematic more than it is gross. It's kind of wobbly. And it's wobbly from very early on. And then you look at the runtime and you're like, well, fuck, it's gonna fall apart. This movie's three hours long. Yes. And then it doesn't fall apart. It's still wobbly, basically right up until the end. But like it 
never actually falls over into being bad. That's a really good way of putting it, yeah. But the point where I was like, okay, I actually love this movie is when Elizabeth Taylor takes the three children home to her parents for Thanksgiving, they become very attached to the living turkey that has been purchased to be slaughtered for Thanksgiving and name him Pedro and they feed him and they really like him and he's basically like their pet for a day and then Thanksgiving happens and the uh, housekeeper brings out the big beautifully cooked turkey and everyone is saying grace and during grace all the kids are looking over at the turkey and then at some point one of them turns to Elizabeth Taylor and says in like baby speak is that is that pedro and the grandmother says well yes dear it is like totally doesn't think anything of it at all and the kids just start like "Ah," crying yeah and then the granddad sticks the carving fork into the cooked bird and the kid goes no no (laughs) it is so perfect <laughs> like it is funny and it is moving and it is real and it is sweet. And like it's just it's just really, really well done. And you spend a lot of time with Elizabeth Taylor like trying to calm these kids down. Yeah. From them very understandably losing it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Really, I think you're right to point out, like, all the stuff with the little kids is I think stronger than and and I don't envy the actors playing the adult kids because it is a little bit unfair to go like, and then they're just fundamentally who they were as four-year-olds. <laughs> right. Because we don't have enough time to establish them as different people. Right. And I think uh, actually that is a big problem that I had with it is this movie for adults is like, these people are fundamentally the same people. And as they change, what we are seeing is an evolution and not, oh, well, this is a totally fucking different person. But you can't really do that with three-year-olds. There might be, like, certain qualities, like, oh, so-and-so was always getting into trouble when they were three. But, like, it needs to be much vaguer than, like, oh, the one who cried about getting on a horse and didn't want to do ranch stuff is now, like, a pushover. (laughs) And ran over to the, like, Fisher-Price doctoring set. Yeah, like, that's not how that really works in real life. Yeah. So yeah, I guess we should rate this movie? Unless you have more to say. Yeah. No, I I mean, there's more to say because it's just like a long ass movie, but I think we've covered all of the general stuff here. Like the And I do sort of, I don't know if I'm full on watch this movie, but like if you watch this movie, you can enjoy the specifics and I don't need to necessarily get into all of them here. Rating it though, eight. Uh, I'm I'm gonna say yeah. I'm gonna say seven or eight. Yeah, maybe seven and a half. Yeah, seven and a half sounds fair to me. I'm gonna say it would have been an eight if we cut like even just half an hour. Yeah, and I think you could cut an hour. I don't know exactly what it would be, but I think you could. But if you'd cut half an hour, even I think this would be a stronger film. And, you know, we've talked about some of the problems with it, but I think that generally it's a pretty good movie. And I think that it has a strong and even resonant message about racism today, even though the way that it approaches it as far as like how you fix it or fight it or whatever does take away a lot of agency from the people 
who are the objects of that racism. <laughs> yeah. But it demonstrates the levels of racism and how there is like, quote unquote, innocuous racism in Rock Hudson. And that that's also not okay either. Like, yes, it's not as horrible as Jet telling his entire staff to make sure that Mexican people aren't allowed into the hotel. But just sort of standing by and assuming that treating people as if they are inherently inferior is harmless is not okay either. <laughs> and I think that that's interesting and I think that's still pretty resonant. And I would say watch this movie. Yeah, I would say- It's long. It is long. <laughs> like this movie needed an intermission. When you time jump for the kids, take like a 15 minute break. But that's just because this movie is fucking long and not because there's anything wrong with it. Like, I understand why they didn't split this up into two movies. Yeah. The plot wouldn't really make sense of either movie if you did that. But it's two decently sized movies that are just kind of connected together. And like, I guess I understand that is how plots work. But also you can pause things now. <laughs> so maybe like watch half of it, pause it, come back, watch the rest of it later. And then I would say, like, watch this movie if you can if if you can do that. Yeah. I think you can also treat it like you would binge watching a show. Yeah. Because it does feel episodic in that way. Yeah. You watched 45 minutes and you're going to pause it and, like, go put the laundry in the dryer. <laughs> there are some really, really good specific moments like the turkey scene or some of the dialogueless moments in here, like Jet discovering oil, that are totally worth your full attention. So there isn't the same, like, eh, if you go to the kitchen to get a snack, you don't need to pause it feeling that sometimes I have for a lot of, like, Netflix shows. <laughs> I... Yeah, I may have done that a few times during The King and I. Oh, during The King and I, you can absolutely do that. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, no, not for this. This I watched as I have a two-monitor setup, and this was going on one of my monitors while I was occasionally paying attention to other things on the other monitor, but also could go like, oh, hey, something interesting and worth my time is going on on the other screen like that I shouldn't just listen to. Right. And then I would focus in on it. And then sometimes those silent moments are just like big sweeping shots of the Texas ranch house, which are very impressive because it's this very strange kind of haunted looking Victorian mansion that is on the plains of Texas. <laughs> yeah, it's just in the middle of nowhere. Like there's nothing around and it is very striking, but also like I don't need to see it 48,000 times. <laughs> no, for sure. There's too many establishing shots in this movie. Probably could cut about 10 minutes that way. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'd, I'd say watch it. I would agree. I think what I'm saying is, I don't think I could justify saying watch it if you had to go to a physical theater and watch this whole fucking film and had no control over when to start it and stop it. However, given that you do have control over when to start it and stop it, you should watch this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolutely agreed. So next week, we are watching... Around the World in 80 Days. Which is the winner, right? Yeah. And which is slightly longer. Is it slightly longer? No, less. It is Yeah, it's slightly, slightly shorter. shorter, but still over three hours long. Yes. So I have no idea actually what Around the World in 80 Days is about other than what the title is. Uh, and I feel like I should have by now. <laughs> 
But yeah, this is supposed to be actually really funny, from what I understand. Sure. So hopefully it will be. Yeah. Uh, especially since it's over three hours long. <laughs> so yeah, tune in next week to find out if this is actually good. And until then... This was a movie. Yeah. I have no problem saying that. This was a movie in a way that kind of defines the term, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Not perfect, but they really did make a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Bye. That Pedro. That Pedro. Yes, darling. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs>